Good morning. Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians. If you don't own a Bible, there's a black one in front of you. Take it, use it, uh, keep it. Uh, that's a gift from us to you. As we start, uh, let me ask a couple questions. Uh, first one is, how many of you grew up in Colorado? How many of you actually grew up in Colorado? Yeah, there's a few of us. This is great. Okay, how many of you have lived here longer than three years? So if you grew up in Colorado, you raise your hand and, and it's good to you, right? Okay, that's, that's a lot of us. Okay, how many of you remember the moment that you saw the majestic, snowy, rocky mountains and it took your breath away? First time, okay, there's two, okay. How many of you remember the moment when when you look at the glorious Rocky Mountains and you're just kind of like, hmm, there are Rocky Mountains. Okay, yes, I remember. So for me, I remember the first time I was about 18 years old and I came to visit Colorado to visit my sister here and uh, she took me to Estes Park and you know that roundy road that you kind of come around and then you get to the top of that hill and then over you get get to Estes Park. Well, the night before, it snowed, and then that day, particular day, it was clear. It was sunshine, and so when we got to the top of Estes Park, I remember, like, I was driving, and I was like, pull over, because my breath was taken away. Like, it was just such a glorious moment, and, and this is not the picture I took, but it's kind of like this, right? Like, just this beautiful mountains. They're glorious, majestic, to a point that you're like, like, it just kind of almost like makes your heart skip a beat, right? And uh, I remember uh, pulling over, taking a picture. I remember having the square digital camera that nobody has anymore, those really big brick-looking things, taking a picture and then looking and then going, oh, disappointment because it didn't really like add up. The pixels were really crappy. And so, uh, and then, but, but I remember like just kind of, just this, this moment of Colorado stuck with that moment. I remember thinking, Colorado, those glorious mountains. And uh, I was moved. I, I just kind of felt the largeness of them and also felt pretty tiny in that moment. And it was an incredible feeling that many of you can, can relate to, right? But fast forward a couple years, fast forward a couple years and those same majestic mountains have slowly become just a backdrop to now every, every now and they just kind of go, oh, there's mountains over there. And I get to a point now that, that I, I, I know when they will have snow on them. I know that if it's kind of raining here and the temperatures are dropping, that there'll be snow. So if I look west, there'll be snow on them. And so I even know that part of it and I'm just not quite moved by them anymore. They're familiar to me and familiarity has caused my heart to grow apathy towards them. <laughs> Think of a time, um, so this, they, they grow, familiarity has grown apathy to them and, and this happens with mountains, but also happens in other areas of our lives, right? Like think of a time when you first were attracted to someone. Right? When you first were attracted to somebody, you were like, cared deeply about them. You wanted to know things that were like, what's your fears and your dreams? What's your insecurities? Like, you want to know everything about that person, right? 
you wanted to know the big stuff, but you also wanted to know the little stuff too, right? Like you wanted to know like what's your favorite color? Do you like tacos, right? Like you just, you, you care about these things. Like you wanted to know the details, but, but with time, and most relationships go through this, but with time, you stop pressing in and you start to base your interaction with, with, with them off your assumptions and opinions and you, you know what color they like. You're like, yes, their favorite color is green now. And you just don't even care about it. And you know that it takes them forever to choose their meal or whatnot, right? Like, you just know those things. And you're so familiar with that person that you become unfamiliar. And what happens with that relationship if nothing changes? It gets stale. It develops distance. And here's what happens with our relationship with Jesus. We remember how majestic he was when we first interacted with him. We remember that moment that we got to know him and we were, we were eating up you know, when we read about grace or about how greatly he saved us or something in the scriptures. You were like eating it up. You wanted to know the depth of who he was. You remember going to the scriptures daily, wanting to learn you wanted to know the details, the big and the small. You wanted to apply the gospel to all areas of your life. You were hungry for it. And then time goes by and Jesus becomes familiar. We have gained a knowledge of him, but slowly over time we stop pressing, pressing into him daily. And Jesus becomes familiar again to the point of unfamiliar. Jesus becomes familiar to the point of mundane. And that's why, as we've been studying the book of Colossians, Paul prays, last week we talked about this, prays that the church of Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of Jesus, that they will be continuously learning, being refreshed by this gospel. And today we get to, to the passage where Paul unpacks the full glory and the full hope that lies in Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Because when we, fa- when we face Jesus face to face, the real Jesus, the Jesus in the scriptures, we see him as majestic. And that feeling should not fade. As the one who is over everything, because Jesus is over everything. And that produces in us, this produces in us worship, it produces us in the worship of him. And so we're going to be studying Colossians 1, 15 to 23. So if you're able, uh, let's stand and read this together. So it's Colossians 1, 15 to 23. And we read this together in one voice. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body, flesh, by his death, 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reapproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. That was a lengthy passage, huh? I love reading as a church this passage. So, but right before this passage uh, that we just read, Paul and Timothy were praying for this young church. They were praying for this young church and they were asking God to fill this young church with the knowledge of God, right? The knowledge of God that we, we, we learned last week, which is the gospel. And they pray that once you're filled with the knowledge of God, that then you would live it out or you will walk according to the gospel, and, and we talked about how that order matters a lot, that that order matters a lot, that first you get filled with the knowledge of God, you get filled with the gospel, and then when God saves you, then you live it out. And you live it out um, to, to you, with the manner worthy of your calling. And God is the one who saves, God is the one who draws your heart in his mercy and kindness and all his grace. And But when we taste all those things, then you walk in the manner worthy of your calling. And so, and then the passage that we just read, it's almost as if Paul and Timothy wanted to explain why. They wanted to be like, well, you, you walk in those, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. They were like, I can't stop talking about Jesus. And so they get, get this, to this passage and they're like, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. And so I started this sermon talking about being familiar with Jesus, right? Like, and, and all of us, you know, as, as I was talking through it, all of us could relate to those feelings at one point or another. We all have been familiar with either a significant other or the, being familiar with the mountains or being too familiar with Jesus, and so as we jump into this passage, I want us to reawake our love for Jesus. I want us to see Jesus afresh. That's what I've been praying for us this week, that we'll be a people who, as we study this passage, when we study things like, he's the image of the invisible God, it's not going to be like, oh yeah, that's the image of the invisible God. Like, the, you just wake your heart up. And so, um, so we start with the, he's the image of the invisible God. And uh, up until Jesus came to earth, no one has seen God. No one has seen God. Sure, Moses talked to the burning bush. Sure, he saw back, the back of God. Um, but no one has ever seen, Je- seen God face to face. But Jesus comes on the scene. And Hebrews 1.3 says, The radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature. That was, that was, that's Jesus. And then in, in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 4, it says, The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. So Jesus is the image of God. He's, he is God made visible. And there's a conversation between Jesus and Philip. And um, and Philip is one of the disciples of Jesus, and, and it goes something like this. It's, and, and Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you so long that you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so, um, so if you want to see God, 
you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how he will respond to you, if you want to know his character where he will show mercy or uh, what stirs up anger in him, look at Jesus. The, Rome, uh, the book of Romans um, reminds us that both creation and our conscience reveal the glory of God in every person. But, but to know the nature and character, go to Jesus. Go to the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Study Jesus and, and see how he talks to the woman who's caught in adultery. Or, or how he talks to the religious leaders. What is Jesus like? Because the more you get to know Jesus, the more the knowledge of God really hits you and really connects to your heart. It's Jesus who's going to transform your heart. It's Jesus who's going to be working on your heart. And whenever you start to connect Jesus to your heart, you start to see love. You're going to start to see grace. You're going to start to see joy. It leads your heart of worship. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then he says the firstborn of all creation. And before we even talk about the firstborn of all creation, uh, before we even unpack this, this does not mean that Jesus was the first thing God created. This is not, not a thing that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were sitting there talking to one another like, ooh, let's create God the, Holy, uh, God, God the Son. Like they didn't think of that. That's not what this text is saying. Jesus is not a part of the creative order. In fact, the term firstborn, it's used 130 times in Septuagint. And it's always, always used to describe statue and power. So Septuagint is the Old Testament. So it's like used 130 times in Old Testament to describe as power and statue. And so if you look at Psalm... Um, is this working? Yeah, it's still working. My screen is not working, but that's still working. That's kind of fascinating. Um, so if you go to Psalm 89, 27, he's talking about David. This is God talking about David. And God said, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. He's talking about David saying, saying God will make David great. He will give him power. So the point is not that Jesus was the first thing created. The point is that Jesus is preeminent over all things created. He has authority. He has power. He has statue. You don't have authority. You can't walk outside and say, God, I want you to, to stop the snow yesterday. You're, you're, you, know, you could come outside and be like, okay, the weather is drunk in Colorado. What is happening? It's supposed to be spring. It's snowing right now. But you have no authority to say, snow, stop. You can ask. You can go to God and say, God, I would love for spring to actually roll around. I'm really missing the warm weather. Whether it will happen or not, you have no authority over that. Jesus has a authority over storms. He tells the storms to stop and they stop. He, he tells the pe- dead people to get up and they do. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And before he took on flesh, he stood above creation, above everything you and I know and everything we, can't, we can and cannot see. And he created. In our passage in verse 16 and 7, it says, For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
So everything that is created is created by Jesus, and he rules over it. That includes the smallest of ants, like the three millimeter ants that are crawling around and, and have, have a story within them. And that includes the stars and galaxies that are light, light years away, million light years away, right? It includes both the microscopic and cos- cosmic. It includes both. And, and, and Jesus is over both of those. Thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities were created through him and for him. And John 1, a passage that, that you're very familiar with, says in the beginning, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So everything was made through him and for him. Jesus was in the beginning. He was always the center of the plan. He's the creator of the plan. He's the sustainer of that plan. And so let me ask you this question. Have you gotten too familiar with your Jesus? Have you gotten too familiar with your Jesus? Because This Jesus that we're studying today evokes worship. It evokes worship. This Jesus, as the next verse says, is before all things and holds all things together. This Jesus wakes us up. The fact that I can breathe in and out, that's Jesus. The fact that I can sleep at night, that's Jesus. The fact that I can walk, that's Jesus. And listen, and I don't I don't know what's on your plate. I don't know the the problems that you may have and, and the struggles that you're facing. I don't know, I know that what, what's going on in your life, but I do know who can who you can bring those problems to. Jesus not only created us, he sustains us. And we're made for him. And whatever is going on in your life, Jesus knows it. He knows it and he, he knows what you need. He understands you. He gets you. We run to him because we know that he's the author of all. No matter what's happening in life, we run to Jesus because he is holding it all together. And part of everything that he holds together, he holds us together. He holds the church together. Because the verse 18 says, and he's the head of the body, the church. So Jesus is the head of our church. So what is Paul and Timothy getting at? When, when God saves us, we become part of Christ's body. In Romans 15, 5, uh, 12, 5, it says, so we, though, though many... Are one body, body in Christ and individually members one of another. God is going to take care of the body. He is the head. He's in charge of the church and we can trust him. We can trust him. And so uh, I was thinking about this, that, you know, I can, I can sit here and tell you, you should trust Jesus or we can trust him and it can tell you through scripture how we can trust him. But I just wanted to share a couple stories I wanted to share a couple stories of how he has been the head of our church. That he has been walking before us. That he has been sustaining us. How he has been five steps ahead of us throughout since last August. Right? And so um, when, when we moved here, actually even a couple months before we moved here, I would sit at Jungle. 
I would sit in John Galt and I would sit by the window and see this building. And in my heart, I said this many times. I said, God, I would love to worship you in that building. You know, and, I, and this, is, this is about two years ago. I'm sitting there and I'll say, I don't even know if I can call it a prayer. I mean, it probably was a prayer. But, but all I'm saying is just I'm sitting there and I'm going, God, I would, I would love for our, whenever you plant this church for us to worship you in that building. So when we moved here in May, I decided to, you know, what, what's the natural thing? If I had been saying that, then I should call them and see if they'll let us in. So I do. I call them and leave a voicemail. I actually called and left two voicemails because I really wanted to be in this building. And so um, this, is, this is a year ago, last May. So I called, left a voicemail, and no one called me back. And so naturally, as God has been growing us, people have been coming we decided that we were going to meet on the Sunday evening uh, at the armory. And so if you remember, we went and started worshiping at the armory building in downtown. And so, and so we were doing that. And after a few months at the armory, we started to look at a space that we could meet in the morning. Everybody was like, why are we meeting in the evening? I was like, that's a great question. Let's go to the morning space. So then we decided that we're going to sit down and, and call all these places to see if we can get into a morning space. And I knew that I was going to have Thursday afternoon or actually Thursday whole day to kind of do this. And so um, I got around that Thursday. This is September now. So uh, remember, I called this place in May. Now we're in September. And uh, I, I pick up the phone and I call every place. And I don't call this place. I call every event center in town. I call every seven-day Adventist church because they meet on Saturday. So I figured maybe there's some space open on Sundays. So I called every event center in town, trying to see the prices, compare the prices or whatnot. And around three o'clock, the same day, that Thursday at three o'clock, I get a phone call and I don't recognize the number. So I answer and the, and the guy goes, is, is this Sergey from the town church? And I said, yes, this, this is Sergey. Who is this? And they're like, this is Pastor Wayne from uh, Congregational Christian Church. And I go, I don't know who Pastor Wayne from Congregational Christian Church. I didn't even know this building, is, this church was called Christian Congregational Church. So I'm just kind of puzzled. And I was like, who are you trying to like field my way through the conversation. And so as we were kind of on talking, he says, well, you called me and left a voicemail. And I'm like, I didn't call anyone left a voicemail. Like I talked to everybody in the morning that I left voicemails to. And so he goes, he goes, yeah, we are located. And he described the address. And as he's describing the address, I remember I did call this place, but it was in May. And so, so I, I, I go, we're, wow, okay, this is September. I was like, so I did call you, but we're looking for a space in the morning, not in the evening. And he goes, that's fine. Just come. Come and we'll meet and we'll talk. And, and then the next question is like, I was like, I called you in May. Because I was really, at that moment, I was just curious. I was like, I called you in May. What happened? He goes, oh, our voicemail was broken. I just fixed it today. <laughs> so he's actually hearing this voicemail for the first time in September that I left in May, Right? And so we talked about this space. We, he said, hey, come in, use this space, uh, and, uh, and the rest is history. And so the same day that I'm looking and calling and searching for a space for our little body, a little church to go to, that same day, God decides that Wayne should fix his answer machine. 
That same day, not the day before, not the day after, that same day, and he fixes it, and then he, he decides to listen to all the voicemails or whatever, and then he decides to call me out of all the messages, calls me back. Do you see how God is walking before us? And what's kind of funny part of this story is that a couple months later, Zach, uh, you guys know Zach, he, uh, he was like, hey, can I call Pastor Wayne? And that, he's, that was the only number I did give him. So he called him and that voicemail was actually full. So he calls Pastor Wayne and, and he couldn't even leave a voicemail because it was full again. And so, so just the timing of me being able to leave a voicemail, Wayne answering the voicemail a few months later, and, and, and all of this, God is in charge. Do you see that? Do you see how he's in control? I can't even make this stuff up. Like, I can't even make this story spicier, right? Like, I can't be like, oh, and this is what happened. No, like, this is what happened. He's, Jesus is the head of the church. He's walking before us. He's in charge. Let me share one more story. One more story. And this story actually could be any one of you. Any one of you that God has brought and you joined this church, all of you have a story how you came to be here, right? And so this story that I'm about to share could have been any one of you, honestly, because each one of you, and I could go down the list and share story after story of how you end up being here, right? And so... Um, this guy named Mark, you guys know Mark, he, he came here about two or three months ago. Um, so it's a story how Mark showed up to church. And, uh, and so at the end of last year, Mark was going through some hard things. And as he was going through this hard, hard stuff, he remembered going to church a few years back with a guy named Zach. And so, and they went to a fairly large church, and so now he doesn't, he has lost connection with Zach, so he can't really call Zach right now and, and be like, hey, where do you go to church or something? So he, he just kind of goes, okay, I want to go to church. I don't know anyone to go to church, so I'm just not going to go to church. And so, fast forward, and the worship practice meets here on Tuesday evenings, and this particular worship practice, uh, Rebecca asked the team if they could end a little bit earlier because she needed to go to a dance practice, right? And so, so the worship practice does end a little bit earlier. Zach is a soccer coach and he has a bunch of soccer equipment and he stores all the soccer equipment at the same place that Rebecca dances at, okay? So, so afterwards, Zach... Zach is thinking, okay, I have a little bit of time to kill. I think I should go and drop off some of my soccer equipment and store it at this, they call it the garage, right? And so at the same dance studio, Mark is also a part of the dance program, right? So Mark is there. Rebecca is there. Zach is walking in with all these equipment. Mark and Zach have not seen each other for a little while. And, uh, and so Mark sees Zach, comes, approaches him. They chat for a little while. And part of that conversation, Zach invites Mark to come to church. Comes to church, which then Mark shows up the next Sunday. Part of this whole thing is though Rebecca saw Zach talking to Mark. And so Mark now comes to church. Rebecca sees Mark. Mark knows Rebecca. They chat also on Sunday. Again, do you see how crazy that story is? Do you see, did, did, I, did I connect all the dots for you guys to see that, like, that is, God is in charge. 
God's in charge of all the details, things that you can't even fathom, things that, that you're like, hey, uh, can we end up practice early? And everybody's like, okay, sure, we'll end the practice early. But like, as it happens, God is in charge to so, mu- so much in those details that Zach, and then later on, I was actually talking to Zach about this, and Zach goes, yeah, I wasn't going to go that evening. That was not part of my plans. I actually wrestled. With, like, he was like, I didn't really, you know, I should probably go home. I don't want to go to the garage. And he was like, and it was like last second I decided to actually go there. Right? Like, God was stirring his heart, too. It is all God at work doing this from, from getting this building to bringing people one by one here. God is in charge. This is his church. He's the head of this church. He created this world. He sustains this world, and he sustains us. He's the head of us. And all of this is not an accident. All of this is not an accident. Jesus is over all of this. Jesus is over over this, and he's in charge. And, and again, I started this story as saying that each one of you, I can go and share story after story. Each one of you has a story that you can share of how he's been working from your salvation to where you worship. And how you interact with people. You have story after story how God is walking with you. And, and Jesus is walking in front of us. This church is going to be just fine because we know who's the head of this church. Jesus. He's been the head of the church ever since the beginning. And so, so we're not worried. We're never worried about anything because we know who's in charge. He's going to be walking with us. He ha- we, we look back and we see how he's been walking with us. We look back and we see how he's been taking care of us. No matter what is happening, Jesus got us. It's going to be good. It's going to be okay. He's the head of this church always. And the next verse, the next verse tells us why. It tells us why. What qualifies Jesus to be the head of the church? It says, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything might be preeminent. That everything, he might be preeminent. Uh, we talked about this on Easter. We walked through this on Easter, that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, risen from the grave, grave conquering death. So Jesus created all things, and through his resurrection, Eternal life is born. He created life, and he's the author of life, and he's also the author of new life. And because he conquered death, he's above all things. He's above death, and death couldn't hold him. And so now in him, death can't hold us. So what, what was, so Jesus was the beginning and he was the first to rise from the dead. Why? So that in the total, that, that is totally clear that he's before all things and above all things and over all things. He's preeminent. He has power over everything. And verse 19 says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Paul and Timothy unpacked the cross for us. They unpacked the gospel for us again. So Jesus created all things. Jesus holds all things. Jesus redeems and reconciles all things. Jesus makes peace 
by the blood of the cross. The reconciliation means means to restore peace to the fullest. Reconciliations where there's harmony, reconciliations that the trust is back, the trust is restored, relationship is alive again. Why do we need peace restored? Well, it's the next verse. Verse 21 tells us, Paul and Timothy tell us why we need restoration from peace. It says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that's, that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we need reconciliation because you and I were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. And, and I say that, right? I say that, that phrase, and that, that phrase is, is, is because it's in the Bible and Paul and Timothy are teaching this, but that's a hard thing to hear. Right? It's a hard thing to hear. And, and again, this is, this is kind of, if, you, if that phrase was not a hard thing to hear for you, maybe you got too familiar with that phrase. Right? This is the same thing as maybe you got too familiar with Jesus. Maybe some of the hardships of the gospel, if, you're, if that phrase does not strike you as hard, you may be too familiar with it. Because when you hear that phrase, think, it, think of it in the context of, of having your friends here that you invited. You're like, hey, hey, invite your friends. We'll tell them about how they are hostile in mind and do evil things. Right? Like, that's a hard thing to hear. But recognize that this is the heart of salvation. This is the heart of salvation. This is at the heart of the cross. If we're not... If we're not sick, then why do we need a doctor? The good news of the cross doesn't make sense unless we realize the bad news. That Jesus would reconcile and restore peace makes no sense unless we understand that peace was destroyed in the garden. So this is a salvation conversation. Unless we realize our sinfulness, we'll never realize the hope of the gospel. Unless you realize that you have offended a holy God with how broken and sinful you are, with how hostile your mind is towards Him and the things of Him, then the cross won't make sense to you. The cross won't make sense to you. So for you to realize you need to be saved, you need to go to the dark, deep place, the lowest of lows, and humble yourself by realizing that you can't do it yourself. You need Jesus to do it for you. You need a doctor. And Jesus is the one who will reconcile your relationship. Jesus who created all things, who holds all things together. Jesus who provides a way for you to the Father. Jesus will restore peace that was broken. And you find yourself in that place. Look at Jesus who's all these things for you. Look at him as the author of salvation. And so for you, if you find yourself in that place, as, as I'm talking about this, if you find yourself in that place, the, the scripture says, turn away from your sinful ways and believe that Jesus is your answer. And because when you do, then Jesus will reconcile you and present you holy and blameless and above reapproach before him. Jesus will present you before the Father as holy and blameless. 
So that's a, that's a conversation for those who may not believe. But, but here, here's the conversation for those who do believe. Realizing that we are far more sinful than we think we are. We're far more sinful than what we think we are. I was talking to a friend just this week, and our conversation went something like this, where he was just sharing his frustration. That he's realizing that he is far more sinful than he really thought he was. And he was getting kind of upset about it. He was like, you know, like I thought that by this time I would be a lot farther along. I thought I would be better. And our conversation was so true. All of us, we realize that we're far more sinful than we, re- we really are. We deceive ourselves. We don't even think that we're that sinful at times. We fool ourselves to believe in that we're better than we truly are. But the gospel is not a ticket to heaven. The gospel is to realize how much we need the announcement of Jesus conquering sin and winning the war daily. The gospel is to realize that I find my hope in Jesus daily. In Romans 7, 24-25, Paul says this, Wretched men that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is through Jesus Christ that we've been delivered from the guilt of sin and that we continue to be delivered from the present influence of sin in our lives. The Father has forgiven us because of Jesus. Jesus made a way. And he continues to do present work to free us believers who are still sinners. Jesus is still at work in you. He's working in you, sanctifying you, maturing you, bringing you closer to the Father. In 1 Timothy 1.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He reconciled us to God and he mediates for us in our continuing, as we continue to struggle with temptation and we struggle with sin. He continues to mediate for us, provide a way for us. The reason we can come to the table, whether it's here or come and and interact with the Father, is because of Jesus. And the hope of the gospel is not for our salvation only, but to sustain us daily. Yes, the cross has saved us. Yes, the gospel, what happened on the cross, is salvific. It is salvation, but it's also redeeming us daily. It's making us more like Christ. We're maturing because of the cross, too. The preeminent Christ before all creation, creator of all things, firstborn from the dead, walks with us until the day we present until the day when he presents us holy and blameless in the presence of God. Does this Jesus compel our hearts to worship? Does this Jesus compel our hearts to worship? May we as a church worship only Jesus standing firm in the hope of the gospel that comes from him. May we be that. Let me pray for us.